0: Friends, at this time, we'd like to uh, invite you to uh, take your Bible in hand. We want to uh, continue a series of messages that we began last week. I call the series Life Builders, and I take that, that idea and that phrase in a series that is basically looking at the building blocks of the Christian life. And I take that picture, that metaphor for growth and maturity in the Christian life, from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Now remember of all the churches that the Apostle Paul planted, the Corinthian church gave him more sleepless nights and he wore his knees out in prayer for this church that struggled With immaturity, and because they were immature, they had uh, divisiveness and all manner of problems. The church had. Paul, writing to this church, talks to them about building their life on Christ, doing the basic work of growing in Jesus. Our theme verse for this series is found in one Corinthians chapter three, beginning in verse ten. The apostle Paul, remember, speaking of them about his ministry in being a church planter, there wrote. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ." The Apostle Paul was warning them that if a new teacher comes along and gives them any other gospel other than the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God sent His only Son, who lived a perfect life, who took our sin upon Him and died for our sin in our place on the cross. God raised Him from the dead, and now through putting our faith in Jesus, we too can be forgiven from our sins, and be adopted into the very family of God. That's the good news of the gospel. And Paul says that's the foundation upon which to grow your life as a Christian. Don't put your faith in a flashy preacher or teacher. Remember, the church was arguing over who was the better teacher. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas, which is Peter's original Hebrew name. People were choosing sides and and finding corners to, 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 to dwell in. And Paul said, don't do that. Build your life on Jesus alone. So last week we talked about that foundational truth, the beginning of your Christian life. That is when you ask Jesus to be your Savior. You were born again, spiritually. So spiritually, no matter how old you were, you were a baby. And babies have built into them. They don't have to do it intentionally. It's built into them to grow. And God, in our spiritual DNA, builds growth in and maturity. And he wants to see that naturally occur in his children building up our life in Christ. And that's what we're going to look at different areas as we go through these weeks leading into the Easter season. But today, I want to still focus on the foundation because it's that important. It's important because many people in their early days as a believer, or if we're honest, when hard days come later, the storms of life, sometimes we too may struggle with doubt and worry and fear that perhaps our foundation hasn't held. That maybe that decision I made all those years ago, maybe I wasn't sincere enough. Maybe I've done something. Maybe I've let a besetting sin or a bad habit grow in my life and put roots down. And I feel that maybe I've lost my salvation or I'm not a believer anymore. And I have fear that if I died today, I'm not sure that I would go to be with the Lord. Because of that, we want to talk about the assurance, the living hope that all of God's children have as part of who we are. It's built into us. I've called today's message Safe and Secure. One of the beautiful pictures of God that we see in the Old Testament, in the prophet Isaiah, it pictures God as a shepherd and he walks with the mother the ewe sheep by his side and in his arms close to his heart so it can hear his heart beat he carries the little lamb the newborn the immature the young god carries the young believer in his arms and we take comfort and assurance from that so today we want to talk about assurance Having assurance of salvation. And I think it's important to talk about because if you don't have this, brother and sister, at the beginning of your Christian walk, you will struggle in many ways throughout your life. There's just a number of ways you'll do that. Part of that is you may have fear. The Bible says that God's perfect love casts out fear. But if we don't have assurance of salvation, we will always be in fear. I remember back in my seminary days. I say seminary rather than Bible school. Bible school is where we have our undergraduate degree. I went to North American Baptist College up in Edmonton, and I got my bachelor's degree there, a Bachelor of Arts, Liberal Arts and Religion. But then seminary, I took a master's degree called the Master of Divinity, which is a is a professional pastoral degree. All of that to say that one of the courses we took in seminary I remember it was an elective. It wasn't a requirement. It was one of those courses you take just to fill out or put a tool in your toolbox. And this course was called Spiritual Autobiographies. And it was fascinating. We read the autobiographies of many Christians, men, women, young people throughout the last 2,000 years. Some of them long time ago, like St. Augustine, his spiritual autobiography, his story of his birth and walk in christ and we read it right up until modern times now one of those that left an impression on me because it was so it was so unpleasant to read was of all people john bunyan john bunyan was the author of pilgrim's progress who many of us know that apart from the bible in the english language for many many years for decades for centuries it was the most printed and read English book apart from the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress, which was the story of a a pilgrim who gets saved, and then he's called Christian. And it's really an allegorical story. Not my cup of tea, but it was very meaningful to Christians over the years. Well, you expect a man to write a Christian classic to be a great man of God, a lion of the faith. And his autobiography was called... (laughs) grace abounding to the chief of sinners. He quotes the Apostle Paul, grace abounding to me, the chief of sinners. So that tells you right now, he thought he was the chief of sinners. Well, he talks about his great burden for his sin, his sense of burden that he was carrying his sin and he was going to go to hell when he died. But the trouble was, even after making a profession of faith, putting his faith in Jesus, he continued to struggle, thinking that he was still not forgiven. He couldn't accept the forgiveness of God. Or he would think, maybe I've committed a sin that is just one sin too far. The unpardonable sin that God can't forgive. And so he was in anguish. One day he would feel good about his salvation, the next day out the window. He'd be in complete despair and in tears. And it was it was bordering, as you read that book, on, on mental illness. It was crazy. The man needed help. And eventually, God brings that help. I believe it was like a miraculous healing of his heart and soul and body. And it came in the form of, he was just in prayer one day, and he was reading Scripture, the wind blew, and the curtains at the window blew in, And he felt God's Spirit bring calm and peace to his heart and assurance. And he never doubted again. It was like a switch was thrown. But he struggled for years, and I don't want anyone within the sound of my voice to be struggling in the same way today. Because what does fear lead to, especially for a young Christian? Well, we look to meet that fear and meet that need in our own power. And if you don't have assurance of salvation, you are going to turn to man-made rules. You're going to find a legalistic teacher and a bunch of loveless, mean-spirited, legalistic people. And you guys are going to try to follow the rules and be holier than everybody else. And you're going to be a little club and one of those little cultic churches that build walls instead of bridges. Don't get me started. You're going to be a loveless, legalistic, hard-hearted person. But if you have assurance of salvation, you blossom like a flower. And you who have received and glory in the love of your Savior, it overflows from your life into the lives of others, and you draw people to Christ rather than pushing them away. That's why, friend, you need your foundation sure in Christ. And we're going to do that over the next few minutes. I want to point you some to some passages from Scripture. First thing, I ask the question, will our foundation in Christ last? I look at the picture in that house, and that's a homeowner's nightmare, a foundation that is broken down, and the house is lost because the foundation did not last. But how is it for you in Christ, if Jesus is the only foundation to build your life on in Christ, does that foundation last? Well, to know that we turn to God's Word, the Bible. And we'll be in mostly in the Gospel of John, the first letter of John, and some of Paul's epistles today. But I want to turn right now to John chapter 11 to answer the question, Will our foundation last? And in John 11, beginning in verse 25, remember John 11, is Jesus going to Bethany to, to meet with Mary and Martha after the death of their brother. And they are struggling because they had faith that Jesus was going to come and heal Lazarus. Jesus, He tarried for a season. He waited. He didn't come when called. And Lazarus died. But now Jesus comes and brings resurrection power. In doing that, talking to the sisters, remember in talking to Martha, beginning in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. Now what Jesus is speaking of there, as we see as a great theme of the gospel of John is just that eternal life through faith in Christ being born again, putting your faith in Jesus, asking Jesus to forgive you your sins, turn to Him in repentance, and receive that free gift of salvation, you receive not temporary forgiveness. You receive eternal life. This is life without end. By its very definition, it's permanent. It's eternal. It's lasting because it is a gift of god a gift of god himself now building on that remember this is the apostle john his gospel and writing this at the same time it makes sense that in his letter first john first john chapter 5 we would read this passage john says in verse 11 and following and this is the testimony that god has given us eternal life and this life is in his son Remember, it's not in you. It's not in your power to to live the perfect life and receive God's blessing every day. It's in His Son. It's in Jesus. That's where the life is. This life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. It's all about being a child of God and having Jesus in your heart. In fact, friends, the whole book, Of 1 John is written to give assurance. Read that. It's only five chapters. And John goes over the same three points again and again. He said, These are the true marks of Christians. Because remember, in the early days, there was a lot of confusion over who were true followers of Jesus. There were false teachers and false followers. John says, To be a Christian, you need to have faith. Put your faith in Jesus alone. Just Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Gospel of John. Put your faith in Jesus. And if your faith is in Jesus, you naturally want to obey his word. And in doing that, you do it not as cold legalism. But the third point is you love God and you love others. The love of Jesus flows through you. Faith in Jesus, obeying the word of Jesus, and the love of God and Jesus flows through you. That's what the whole letter of 1 John is all about. Our foundation in Christ is permanent and eternal. Now a point I can't stress enough is our second point today. We understand it's a gift. We're saved by grace, but who keeps us? It's also, friends, get this, you're saved by grace and you are kept spiritually by grace, I don't know how often I see it mixed up. People say they agree, yes, you're saved by grace, it's a gift of God. But to keep it, to live that Christian life and hang on to that salvation, it's all on you. It's done by works saved by grace, kept by good works. Now, there's a whole branch of theology we won't go into it today. In part, It came out between uh, a conflict with Calvinism, a group in the church that stressed very strongly that believers are elect, chosen by God before the foundation of the world, and they only believe that because it's taught in the Bible. But these people rebel against that, saying, we're for human will, free will. I believe we do have free will, but our free will falls under the sovereignty of God. It's within His Will, but they thought it was opposite ends of the rope and and in fighting for free will, they said, Well, if I have free will to to choose Christ, I have free will to reject him later It kind of It was a logical argument they played out, I think, too far. They painted themselves into a corner, we call it Armenianism after armenius a a Dutch theologian, and it's kind of a caricature i'm simplifying a lot, but what they basically do is think that, yes, you can lose your salvation, but then you can get it back again. But oh, had a bad day, you lost it again. But then you can get it back again, but then you can lose it again. And I know there's a lot of Pentecostal and charismatic churches that have this at its foundation, and it makes for a it makes for a, a schizophrenic Christian life. You're coming and going, you just don't know. There's a lot of confusion. You have to... Be assured that your foundation is secure. We do have bad days. We do stumble. We do need daily accounts with God. And John has promised that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive you those sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You're not getting saved again. In fact, the book of Hebrews says, if it was possible for a Christian to lose their salvation, it would be impossible for them to ever get it back because they would have to crucify christ all over again that puts that saved lost and saved again idea right out the window it's not possible saved by grace kept by grace and one of the most beautiful passages in the bible is our text for that we often quote ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 but you have to start a little bit earlier Let's start a little earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But because of His great love for us, and that's where the grace of God comes from, it's His love and mercy for us. Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. Can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That passage is incredible. It says, God's love and mercy and grace saved you. God's grace will keep you as His precious workmanship. You are created through faith in, in God's grace. You are created as something that God will point to throughout the ages as an example of His great love. If it was kept by works, God couldn't point to us through the ages. It would say, oh, they trusted my grace, but then they had a bad day and they lost it. No, you are kept by God's love. You're saved by grace, and you're kept by grace as well. This is a wonderful promise, but there's so many promises of salvation and the perseverance of the saints throughout Scripture. It's where the old hymn, I call the next point, standing on the promises. Those are my two favorite hymns as a little boy, standing on the promises and leaning on the everlasting arms. And it's interesting, both of them speak of the perseverance of the saints that those who trust in Christ will last throughout the ages. There's so many promises to point to, so much good news in God's Word. For instance, John chapter 5. What did Jesus say in verse 24? I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. The grammar there is never will be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Stand on that promise. You will never be condemned. You will grow in grace. And throughout the ages, Jesus will point to you as a living example of the love and grace of God. The eternal word of God. Philippians chapter 1 says something very similar. Philippians chapter 1 verse 4 to 6 The Apostle Paul reflecting on how much he loves the people in that church, how much he prays for them. He says, beginning in verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, being confident, that's the assurance we all have, you have not fear, but confidence. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you Will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It means that God is at work in you. You are the clay. He is the potter. He is forming you and making you. We have good days, bad days as we grow in grace to be more like Jesus. But it's God's work, not our own. He's working in us and through us. Some people think it's just the opposite when they look in Philippians chapter 2, where we hear that we should be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That means that we need to be focused and passionate on the work that God is doing in us. That word, working out, doesn't mean our salvation depends on works. As we saw in Ephesians, we're saved to do God's work in the world, not by our good works but the word working out means to bring to the appointed conclusion. God has a destiny in mind. Have you ever watched an artist and you see the first few strokes on a canvas and you look at that and for all the world, you do not know what that's going to turn into. But then as the artist goes and adds line upon line, it becomes clear. This is God at work in you early on. It's hard to tell. You're still a lot like you were before you met Jesus, but as God continues to work, it comes into focus as you grow to be the woman or the man that God desires you to be as his child. And God brings that to its conclusion. We're confident, Paul says, that God, who is at work in you, will bring it to its perfect conclusion. Oh, we have so many things to build our assurance on. Wonderful one. One of the wonderful ones is that, one of the promises is that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, the picture on the screen is what we often think of as a seal, an an old seal of a letter. They would close the envelope. They would melt some wax. And then they would, Take a seal like a signet ring or something and put their mark in it. So, when that seal was broken and the letter was open, we knew the letter had been secure or not. Well, that's similar to the ancient seals that the Bible talks about. I have a picture, though, of a papyrus letter that is sealed from ancient times. Now, look at this. The seal, instead of being beautiful beautiful red red wax, wax, the the seal, and that's a papyrus from Egypt, that seal is made out of clay. The ancient seals, they would take a wet lump of clay. First, the letter, whether it be a scroll made out of animal skin or a papyrus letter that was folded up a number of ways and then tied. And then the cord tying it would be affixed with wet clay. There was no way to untie it without cutting the cord or breaking the seal. And then in that wet clay, a seal would be pushed. The wet clay, once it had that seal pushed into it, that was called a bulla. Funny name. I have a couple bullas I want to show you. The next slide. These were found beginning in 2015 in Jerusalem, in the ancient city of David, just south of the Temple Mount. These are clay seals that sealed official correspondence. One of them bears the royal seal of King Hezekiah, the godly king that we read about in the Bible, especially his ministry and life through the prophet Isaiah's time. There's Hezekiah's seal, which it's on the left, and that kind of startles us because most religious people's seals did not have pictures on them because that would be like idolatry. Hezekiah's seal has two pictures. It has a scarab, a winged beetle, and if you look on the right-hand side, you see that hook, that cross with a loop on top? That's the symbol of life from Egyptian teaching called the Ankh. Both of those are Egyptian symbols. And we say, why would a godly Jewish king, king of Judah, have Egyptian symbols on his seal? Well, if you read in the Bible of his time, to protect him from the Assyrians, Hezekiah made a pact an alliance with the egyptians isaiah warned him don't depend on those egyptians they're the most most undependable undependable bunch. bunch don't put your faith in them put your faith in god but hezekiah as you see from his royal seal he was cozying up to the egyptians and so this correspondence was likely to or from egypt and he wanted them to know that he was on their side by using those symbols and amazingly Just recently, we found a broken seal. It has no pagan imagery on it. And it says two words, Isaiah, prophet. Now the second word, prophet, has the last letter of the four letters missing. But it's obvious that that's what it's saying. So we have an actual seal of the prophet Isaiah, probably to or from the king. Isaiah sealed it. Now, why were those seals important? They said, this is the property of the one whose seal it is. It was the property of that person. It was had the authority of that person. And that seal provided the security of that person as well. They gave their power as security over wherever their seal was. If you bore the seal of the king, you had his protection. So friend, when the Bible says that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you have God's authority and power and protection upon your life and on your salvation. And that's put so beautifully in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Paul writes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, this is putting your faith in Jesus, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Just as that letter was the possession, the property of whose seal that is, you bear God's seal, you are his possession. You belong to Him. It's not incumbent upon you to keep your salvation. You have the power, the authority, the seal, and the indwelling Spirit of God as a guarantee of what is to come. Our salvation and redemption. What a beautiful picture that is for us. Sealed in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As we come near to the end of the message, I want to remind you that it doesn't depend on your strength. Your strength may be here today, but it may be gone tomorrow. I've often thought that if my salvation depended on me, I would be in a lot of trouble because sometimes depending on when my most recent meal is, is my attitude. My blood sugar level will tell you whether I'm happy and joyful or sour and critical. It can't depend on us. It depends on God. We are shielded. You are shielded by God's power. (laughs) The little lambs that belong to the shepherd, is it up to them to defend themselves and protect their lives and to keep themselves safe from the predators? No, it's the shepherd. Reflect on the beautiful words of Psalm 23, even though, even though I travel, and walk that road, that dark road, the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The strength of the shepherd protects us. Our salvation depends on that good shepherd. Speaking of that power, Peter writes something beautiful in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade there's your assurance right there kept in heaven for you who through food, who through who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's talking about the return of Jesus. Until then, your salvation, your inheritance is kept in heaven. It will never spoil or fade or grow old. And you are shielded till that time by the power of your God and your good shepherd. It's Jesus' power, our shepherd who protects us. In John chapter 10, Jesus uses that illustration of himself. He names himself as the good shepherd. As he says in verse 27, he says, My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The power of God is your shield. It's His strength holds you and keeps you. You are safe today in the arms of your good shepherd. Why does He do it? Why does God go to all this trouble, not only to give us the greatest gift, a Savior, to save us while we were yet sinners we spit on him we put a crown of thorns on his head we nailed him to a cross but it was his great love for us that saved us we are eternally secured by the love of Jesus eternally secure by his love Romans chapter 8 speaks of that great love. Beginning in verse 35 and then continuing on in verse 37, the Apostle Paul, speaking of the love of Jesus, says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Earlier in the chapter, he says, Who can condemn us? Who can accuse us? Satan may accuse, but we have Jesus speaking on our behalf. Why? Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we grow, it's not a steady straight line. It never is with children, and we are God's children. There are ups and downs as we grow to be more like Jesus as we grow up in our faith and in our maturity, on those stumbles, on those down days, don't think that you've lost your faith don't, or you've lost your salvation. You are in the love of Christ. You are in His heart. You are safe in His arms, and He will never let you go. It doesn't depend on us. He who began that good work in us will carry it on to completion in Christ Jesus. And rather than giving us the feeling that now we can kick back, we have our fire insurance, we're safe, and we can live a life to please ourselves, because we are transformed and changed by the love of God, we become passionate followers. We want to tell the world about that love And we want to put a smile on our Heavenly Father's face by the lives we live, lives of love for God and for others. Let's close in prayer, but as we pray, I'll invite the worship team to join me on the platform for our final song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so blessed not only to have Salvation through faith in Jesus. But then, Lord, you give us your love letter, the Bible. You've written us individually this letter of hope. All of your promises that we are kept by your grace, by your love. Until our salvation is revealed with Jesus' return, Lord, we are shielded by your power. Father, may this give us the confidence and the joy to share our faith day by day, knowing that we are safe and secure in the arms of the Good Shepherd. Lord, bless us with this hope today and help us to share it with a world that in this time of fear and COVID and control, Lord, may we share the good news of Jesus and the fact that there is nothing in this world that we need fear because we are safe in the arms of Jesus. Help us to share that living hope we have day by day with those that cross our path. This is our prayer. We pray it all in In Jesus' Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen. God God bless.